Hey, Jim, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, John. How are you? Good. Hey, thanks. Uh, Jim Vivenzio is senior counsel at Perkins Coie uh, in Washington, D.C., but Jim has just joined the firm after over 32 years in the government, many of those years dealing with a variety of enforcement issues uh, in AML and other places as well. So we thought it'd be really interesting to sit down with Jim and ask him a, a bit about his career. So Jim, why don't we start off? I'm always interested in how uh, lawyers got into the government to begin with, and then sort of walk us through some of the early issues that you dealt with, and we'll we'll work our way to the present time. Uh, sure, John. Uh, well, I started out in the law in uh, in private practice at a large law firm in New York City, uh, and I was working in uh, uh, the banking space. And uh, one of the things that I noticed as a young lawyer was that everybody who was anybody in banking uh, seemed to have experience uh, with the government. And uh, so I, uh, uh, I ended up uh, moving over to the uh, Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, um, which regulates all the national banks. And, um, you know, thinking that I'd do a quick stopover, get some government experience, and then go back into banking law. Um, and now 32 years later, uh, <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's been, uh, it's been quite a ride. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, it was interesting when I, you know, joined the OCC, uh, it was back in 1991, uh, you know, essentially three decades ago. Right. Um, and, um, at that time, uh, there, uh, a, a, a new law had just been passed, uh, called FIREA and, uh, FIREA, essentially gave the OCC uh, and, and all the federal banking agencies significant new uh, enforcement authorities, um, you know, mainly in response to the SNL crisis. And, um, and, and at that time, uh, there was just a lot of enforcement work going on uh, in the banking area because so many banks, you know, there, there was a SNL contagion that also impacted a number of national banks. So I essentially got, uh, you know, got christened uh, in the enforcement space in the OCC's New York office uh, for the next 10 years. And ultimately, some of the work that I ended up getting involved in uh, involved, uh, you know, some of the early Bank Secrecy Act cases uh, that, uh, uh, that, that were brought. Um, uh, there was the, 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 the old Jefferson National Bank case up in Watertown, New York. Uh, there was the Broadway National Bank case in, in New York City. Uh, you know, two really fascinating and interesting early, uh, you know, BSA AML enforcement actions. Um, and then, uh, and, and then uh, you know, I, I ended up uh, uh, coming to Washington in 2000, um, and I had the opportunity there to work on the, uh, on the old uh, Keystone uh, uh, National Bank case in West Virginia that uh, involved, you know, one of the biggest frauds for a community bank uh, uh, up to that time. Um, and uh, I was brought over to D.C. by uh, by Bob Serino, who, you, you know, John, was one of the pioneers yes. in this area, a real trailblazer uh, like like you are. Um, and um, and then right when I came to Washington, 9-11 happened. So then we had all of the, uh, the 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 USA Patriot Act regulations that we that we uh, were involved with and, and worked through that process. And then, and then we had the big Riggs enforcement case that kind of elevated BSA enforcement to to even a, a higher level. With the, I think it was a, a twenty four you know million dollar penalty that was really unheard of at that time. Um, 
you know, and then and then as things progressed, and I stayed in this space, uh, you know, we had we, you know, it's, I basically experienced an, another banking crisis with the two thousand eight uh, uh, crash, um, and then uh, as a result of that crash, there were a series of big, large bank enforcement cases that were centered centered along uh, technology with the, you know how they were using remote deposit capture at that time. Um, you know, the, the, the reallocation of resources away from, from BSA compliance uh, as a result of the, the crisis. Um, and then there was also just uh, widespread uh, Casa de Cambio activity from Mexico that also had significant impacts. Um, you know, and then, and then you know, moving on from there, you know, we had the, the beneficial ownership rulemaking, which was a significant rulemaking, uh, working with the other agencies in FinCEN. Uh, then sure enough, we had the pandemic, two, you know, three years ago, and uh, and then came the uh, the AML Act of 2020. So it was quite quite a lot uh, that I've seen in this space uh, o- over the that uh, over the three decades. And and as as you know, you were a part of it as well. Um, but it, it was really quite uh, quite a fascinating ride. And 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 then simultaneous with all of this BSA uh, uh, activity. You know, over that that time period, there was also just you know very interesting progressions. Uh, you know, in the in the fraud space, and and just right. how and just how fraud evolved. You know, initially, you know, back in the '90s, the focus really was more on bank insider type fraud, and um, you know, and then and then we saw the um, you know the 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 IT type frauds taking off, like you know corporate account takeovers. Um, and, uh, and, and then you had the, the, the Ponzi's, you know, with the, with the Rothstein and, and, and Madoff Ponzi's, um, and, and, and then fraud became more, more foreign focused with foreign actors and, and state sponsors of fraud. Um, and, and then, you know, you know, more recently we've seen the pandemic frauds and, right. and, and, and the cryptocurrency frauds with FTX and, uh, and, uh, Vizlato and, um, uh, and and now we've got the the focus on the uh, on the priorities in the AML Act. So that's that was kind of another parallel progression that was also a part of of, of my career. And, and and then the third you know parallel is is technology. You know, I mean, heck, you know, you and I were there with uh, with the advent of the internet, and 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 um, and, and then there was the Y the Y two K issue. Uh, you know, with, with the uh, with the with, you know when when two thousand rolled around, and and you know all of the, uh, the enforcement actions that some banks faced. You know, for not having Y two K processes in place, uh, and then and then we had you know as a result of nine eleven and all the all the airplanes being grounded for a week. Um, you know, checks couldn't get processed, and and we had the uh, the advent of remote deposit capture uh, right. through through the uh, um, through the uh, uh, Check Act, um, and and then we saw the uh, the 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 advent of uh, the uh, uh, Computer Information Security Act, the CISA, and critical infrastructure coming into play, and just how important uh, you know IT had become uh, to uh, uh, to banks. Uh, and then, you know, moving on to technology into modeling and the model risk management guidance and how that could be applied uh, not only to uh, bank systems, but also the a- AML systems as well. And, and now we're in the crypto and, and the non-fudgeable token and, and, and blockchain space. Um, and we've got the, the you know, the, we, we came out with the statement on innovation, uh, you know, and, and how, you know, innovation can be used in, in the BSA AML area, as well as the offices of innovation that were established at all of the federal banking agencies and FinCEN, um, you know, and, and now we're seeing the advent of fintechs and third party relationships. So, uh, 
So, uh, you know, a lot to, a lot to unpack, yeah. but I just kinda, yeah. I, I just wanted to kind of, you know, give everyone just an overview of, of just how fascinating this area was over the past three decades and the growth that we saw both, you know, in, in the BSA space in the, in the, you know, the changes in the fraud space, as well right. as, you know, what happened with technology. You know, uh, you have outlined quite a bit, obviously, over the course of all these decades, and I want to unpack a few things. But what I want to get to to begin with, besides all the information you've just given us, is your your take on this. You've been involved in a lot of enforcement negotiations, whether it was, you know, again, in the 90s till till just recently when you moved on to the private sector. What do you attribute the the mindset of those that intentionally not those that are just incompetent or they make mistakes or what have you because that's there too but that intentionally commit fraud violate the law i know it's greed and corruption i get all that but you see across the table from institutions ceos corporate compliance officers outside firms you've been doing it for decades when you do that, when you're trying to get to the bottom of an enforcement action, what, what's in your mind about what the other side thinks they're getting away with? I'm just very curious because you've always had the reputation, sort of like your mentor, Bob Serino, straight shooter, let's deal with the facts, all that sort of thing, which is a tribute to, to both of you. But I'm curious because you've done with all these frauds that they're committed so differently right now. Now they're using technology before they used other methods to commit fraud. But what do you attribute all this fraud to in terms of the mindset of the fraudster, whether it be, uh, you know, a traditional banker or just some criminal taking advantage of the system? Yeah, you know, I, I've I've seen all different scenarios of fraud, and um, you know, it, you know, back in, in the '90s. You know, some of the frauds that we saw were typically, you know, insider frauds. Um, and, uh, you know, usually it's somebody that's been in the bank a while. And for whatever reason, um, you know, things go bad and, and you don't know what's going on in their head. Is it greed? Is it, you know, a you know, medical issue? Could be lots of things. Um, and uh, and then ultimately, uh, you know, there's uh, some transactions that uh, that are irregular that uh, that get identified and, uh you know, results in, uh, you know, in, in, in them being, being removed um, and, and penalized um, and sometimes uh, jailed. Um, so, uh, so, you know, I've seen that kind of a scenario. Sometimes it's, it's a loan officer. Other times it's the bank president who, you know, is a pillar in the community. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and, you know, just for whatever reason, uh, you see, uh, you know, making making, you know, you know, bad decisions and, and bad loans. Uh, and uh, ultimately and sadly, uh, in some of those situations, we saw the, the banks fail. Um, and um, I, I was actually at the uh, the, the Keystone uh, failure in West Virginia. And I, I saw, you know, the you know, firsthand the impact that that could have. Uh, on a small community. In, in fact, I, I, you know, there, when, when we arrived to, to close the bank down, you know, citizens surrounding the bank because they didn't know, you know what was going to happen with their money, uh, their life savings. Uh, you know, you know, and it was, it was really uh, you know, devastating to see all these you know, salt-of-the-earth people um, you know, just in, in that kind of a, of a situation uh, as a result of the, uh, the, the fraud that, uh, that took place there. Um, 
you know, and, and, uh, you know, and then ultimately, um, you know, you know, whatever happened with that community that lost its, its sole bank, you know, and, and we all know how, how these bank branches really, really, you know, are the economic engine, uh, you know, of uh, small communities and just how important they are and, uh, and, and to be there when, when, one, when one was failing. Uh, really, it really had an impact on me, and uh, you know, it really shows the uh, the the uh, the impact of of fraud. Uh, you know, it, it's uh, it, it, you know, it, it's it's a it's a very uh, complicated and complex web that, yeah. uh, in terms of the the just the, you know the impact that the fraud uh, will ultimately have. You know, you mentioned the Watertown, New York, and we talked about this offline, and I was very interested in in the scope of that because when we tell folks about the the BSA and the AML days and that, that there were, uh, you know, satchels or leaf bags full of cash, like, oh yeah, sure. You know, they, or, or they think that Scarface is an exaggeration, but talk about the Watertown case, because that sounded in the, in the early days of AML, a pretty interesting example of what people were trying to get away with. And I know it took years and I know uh, that there were several agencies involved, but walk us through that one. Cause that's sort of, you know, not only pre 9-11, but pre use of technology. Yeah, you know, it was back in the 90s when AML fraud was was really cash centric. Um, and so, uh, I, you know, I, I, rec- I just started at the OCC as a, as a young attorney and, and I was responsible for handling um, our, our Syracuse office. Um, and, uh, you know, one day I get a call from one of our bank examiners and um, and she had misjudged the amount of time uh, that it was going to take her to get uh, out to this uh, branch uh, that was out in the middle of the woods in upstate New York. And so she arrived, you know, maybe 45 minutes, uh, you know, before the bank opened. And um, so she's online, essentially waiting for the bank to open you know, by the door of the bank. And uh, and, and she observes these uh, these these two men uh, pulling up in a pickup truck and unloading uh, two glad leaf bags filled up with cash. Uh, so, you know, you can, you can picture this, you know, there's a, uh, you know, there, there's a bank examiner waiting for the bank to open up with these two, two, two individuals with leaf bags filled up with cash. And, uh, you know, she ultimately observes, uh, you know, these, uh, uh, these, these gentlemen going into the bank into a back room and, uh, you know, there was a there was a teller back there with a cash counting machine and just kind of running the cash through this, uh, you know, through, you know, through the, the, this machine. Uh, and it's not an easy job because there's so much of it. And it takes a while. Um, and she calls me and she's telling me what's going on there. And, um, you know, our, our initial thought is, you know, we, we you know, you really need to need to get out of there because um, right. we, we, we kind of thought she was in, in, in danger. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I asked her to go back to the go back to the office and, uh, you know, we, we can, you know, f- you know let's uh, let's figure this out, uh, you know, uh, you know, later. Um, and uh, instead of going back to the office, though, she ended up going back to the main office of the bank and does all sorts of terrific analytical work on, you know, what was going on there and, and really uh, en- ends up uncovering just a, a, an enormous, um, you know, money laundering operation. And, you uh, um, you know, and so, uh, you know, we ended up, uh, you know, working that case, uh, you know, closely with law enforcement and, uh, you know, and law enforcement did a tremendous job uh, on, on the Jefferson matter. Uh, ultimately, the case resulted in, uh, you know, 20 people uh, going to jail, being uh, convicted 
Um, and uh, it also resulted in a subsidiary of uh, RJR Nabisco, uh, uh, one of the affiliates of the RJR Reynolds Tobacco Company, um, being indicted uh, for uh, 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 cigarette smuggling uh, through the uh, St. Regis uh, Reservation in, in upstate New York. Um, so just uh, at the time, it was one of the biggest money laundering cases that, uh, that, that law enforcement was, was able to put together. Uh, really kudos to them uh, for uh, just a tremendous job that they did uh, out, of, out of the Syracuse uh, office. Uh, they worked closely with uh, you know, Canadian officials as well. Um, but the joke I like to make, and, and uh, whenever I, 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 I'm teaching a class of examiners, I, always, I would always share this story with them is uh, you know, that one of the biggest money laundering cases in US government history uh, at that time was uh, a direct result of, of a bank examiner who you know, showed up late for, uh, showed up early. Uh, right. I mean, showed up early for a bank examination and, uh, and otherwise she would have never, you may never have picked up on, uh, on, on what was going on. So it, it's kind of an interesting uh, uh, tale. It kind of shows just how important, uh, you know, that uh, a, a bank examiner and, and just the, uh, you know, having eyes and ears, uh, you know, on the, on the front lines, uh, you know, can be, uh, especially now where there's all this talk about, you know, changing over to technology and technology and artificial intelligence to, uh, uh, to detect this stuff. But, um, you know, th there's always that focus on, uh, you know, on, on human intelligence and just eyes and ears and tellers and what they can see as well. Um, so, uh, so, so yeah, just, uh, just kind of a funny story that, uh, yeah. and, and, and then the other important thing too, that, uh, that this story also illustrates, you know, is, is the impact of bank examination, uh, on the, on BSA AML. And, right. and, and it really is a, 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 a you know, a, a three-legged chair. Uh, you've right. got, you've got the examination function, you've got the law enforcement function, and you've got the bank function. You know, and, the, and, and we all have to come together and work together uh, in this in this space in order to make it to make it work. And if and if one of those one of those legs isn't a part of the process, the stool is going to fall. Um, yeah, you know, and, uh, yeah, yeah, sorry to interrupt, but oh, that, sure. I was, I was going to go to that that line of line of thought there, because, as you know, because uh, we've worked together for years, I spent a good portion of my career with the Bankers Association and, and the banking industry has borne the brunt, some of it, um, you know, logically, and some of it maybe not so much about dealing with the Bank Secrecy Act. And so I'm curious, I agree with you about the free legacy, totally agree. And I think it all has to work together. But there is uh, some, I think, legitimate criticism that the examining part of this, um, their, their roles are different, right? Law enforcement needs the data, needs the BSA information to investigate, eventually prosecute, what have you. But in some instances, the examiners, whose job is a little different, they're going to check policies, procedures, kick the tires, make sure the system works. But there's criticism from the financial sector at times that it seems like examiners are more focused on, I won't say check the box because that's a little naive, but uh, you know, a late filing of a CTR or an exemption that wasn't updated. All those things might be true, but really, is that what we need here? So from your vantage point, and now because you're going to be advising financial institutions, what's your take? I, like you, uh, have friends and colleagues in the examining function and obviously respect what they do. But I think in some instances, the way it's crafted, that three-legged stool, uh, 
we're not always we're not always set on the on the mission. And for me, the mission has always been get information in the hands of our partners in law enforcement. So what's your take in general about you train examiners? So you've been through that. And I, I've actually done some of the FFIC training, too. But in some cases, I think the banks have a legitimate complaint, even though all banks are perfect, as we know. And in some cases, the focus seems a bit misplaced. Fair statement or not? Yeah, I think that's a, a fair statement. You know, I mean, you know, this this issue, we've been debating it for for decades now, right, yeah. you know, uh, you know, about, you know, just just how do we get all of the examiners on the same page? And, and it's not just uh, an issue with regard to, uh, you know, one federal agency's examiners like the OCC. Right, uh, right. It, it's across the entire examination perspective. And, and as you know, the BSA, you know, grows and covers other industries, um, you know, there needs to be conformity throughout the process as, as to how this, the, these, these various industries, these various agencies are conducting these examinations. And, um, you know, are, are they check the box or are they really focusing on the program itself? And, uh, you know, and, and whether or not the program is truly broken or, or, or not, uh, you know, one of the, I know one of the things we, we did at the OCC is we really ramped up uh, our examiner training um, and you know, redesigned a number of the, uh, of the courses. And, um, and then the other thing we also did, which I think is very significant, and I'm not sure this really got a lot of, uh, of, of uh, attention, is we also revised uh, our violation of laws policy, you know, as, as to how we cite a violation. Um, and, um, you know, and whether or not that violation, you know, really needs to be included in the exam report. Um, you know, and, and we kind of, there, there's, there's two types of violations uh, that the OCC will cite, and, and it would be either a technical violation or a non-technical. And if, if the violation is construed to be technical, um, you know, it, it doesn't need to go into the exam report. It can be communicated, uh, you know, just, uh, just at, the, at the exit meeting with, uh, with management. Um, so so that, I, I think that goes a long way also in mm -hmm. terms of, you know, reducing uh, the, uh, um, you, you know, you know the, the impact of, uh, of a violation uh, in, right. in the BSA AML space, especially if examiners have the discretion to make those kind of judgment decisions. And, 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 and that's something that we were also, uh, you know, schooling, uh, teaching uh, the, right. uh, the, the examiners on. 2023, we're, you know, these issues that we grapple with are global. From, from where you sit, being through all the decades of, of coverage that you've had, uh, when, a, when a new client reaches you in, in your new role here and says, Jim, what are the big challenges in AML and adjacency? So not just AML, but financial crime writ large that we as a private sector entity, whether it's a fintech firm or fin traditional financial institution or what have you, what are the things that we should be aware of and what, we, what should we be focusing our proactive resources on? What, what would you tell them? Um, you, you know, I would tell them technology, uh, you know, technology to me is, is, is key in, in this space. Um, and, uh, you know, I've been a big proponent and, and really, you know, pushing the technology angle. In, in my view, if the industry doesn't adjust, if it doesn't begin uh, to, uh, you know, adopt technological solutions, uh, then this whole system is just going to collapse under its own weight. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, the, the burdens are, are incredible. 
uh, you know, the amount of, of staff that, uh, you know, the, the uh, largest institutions, you know, need uh, to, uh, to investigate uh, alerts and, uh, you know, evaluate suspicious activities um, is, is enormous. And, um, you know, one of the, the, I think the best thing about the AML Act uh, is really its, its focus, you know, on technology in this, in this space. And I really am excited uh, to, to uh, you know, for FinCEN to ultimately, uh, you know, begin focusing on some of these technological issues and, and the testing methods, you know, rulemaking and, and what that's going to look like. Um, and then just how banks will be able to uh, implement uh, algorithms and technology uh, to reduce false positives and, uh, you know, ultimately, you know, you know reallocate uh, their, uh, you know, scarce BSA AML resources, um, you know, to more important things uh, that, uh, that really need to be focused on, especially in light of all of the, the, the widespread uh, types of frauds that we're seeing from ransomware to crypto to, you know, Ponzi's and, and, and things like that. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I, I was also very proud of when, you know, in my days at the OCC, you know, was getting that interpretive letter 1166 out, um, which, which, which came up with the streamlined SAR process for, uh, for, for banks. Um, right. And, and kind of pulling out, you know, this, these, these low level, uh, you, know, you know, suspicious activity reports related to structuring uh, and, and automating that process. And, uh, and, and that's just, you know, to me, that was just low hanging fruit. Uh, as to uh, you know, one way that technology can be used to uh, uh, to reduce burdens and and reallocate re uh, resources more appropriately. Jim, I'll get you out of here on this. Um, given all your experience, what's your view of what I would call the AML community, the private sector part? So, uh, th those folks that have to do this on a day to day basis, have they over the course of decades gotten from your perspective, more proactive? I mean, early on, there was some tension. There's no question. We can remember the early days where there was a lot of pushback on requirements. What do we need to do? We're not law enforcement, all those sorts of things. My view is that's changed clearly over time. 9-11 certainly focused us and, cer and certainly the, the crisis in 2008. But when you are looking at, again, the AML community, what's your take of their support? Are they true partners with law enforcement. Um, you know, you sat across tables from many folks as you were dealing with enforcement actions. What do you think in 2023? Uh, you know, I, I think there have really been monumental changes there, John. Um, you know, what, what uh, you know, what I'm seeing today are, are truly our partnerships. Uh, and, and, and again, I think that all goes back to um, you know, you know, the, you know, the FinCEN exchanges that are going on and, uh, you know, the sharing of information, uh, you know, the 314A and B processes are, are, are being, uh, you know, you know, up, upgraded and, and revised through the AML Act. And you've got this concept now of feedback loops. Um, so, yeah, uh, I mean, that has uh, changed entirely in my view. And, and again, that's another exciting area uh, is, is this whole information sharing uh, right. uh, concept and, uh, um, you know, and, and, and how that can, can be further, uh, you know, boosted, um, because that, that to me is, is, is so, and even, even OFAC has been pointing that out in some of the uh, public speeches that I, I've been seeing is, um, you know, many, many of, of, uh, of banks, uh, you know, with regard to the Russian sanctions and, and oligarchs, 
you know, are, are putting things together based on the CDD information that they have, you know, and they're, and they're using the 314B sharing process to get additional information from banks. And the banking industry is then, you know, filing suspicious activity reports and informing, you know, FinCEN and OFAC of, you know, all of these relationships that uh, previously were un unknown to the government, you know, right. so, uh, so yeah, I, I, it's come full circle, and uh, and 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 that's that's been a real rewarding part uh, of uh, this uh, uh, this practice that uh, that I've been seeing, and and I, I just think it's going to get better as as things as the AML Act uh, matures and these regs and these regulations come out. Jim Vivenzio, uh, good good luck in your in your new career at Perkins Coie. Really appreciate you sharing your insight today and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk again. So Jim, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you so much, John. And again, uh, you know, you, you've been a trailblazer yourself and uh, uh, I'm, I'm honored to be, uh, to be a part of this with you. All right, Jim, take care, thanks. Bye.